The Great Canadian Talk Show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Welcome back to the Great Canadian Talk Show. This is episode 21 of season two. I welcome back uh, the regular listeners, as well as I know there's people that are new in listening to this podcast, uh, and a um, uh, goodly number of you being attracted because of our unique coverage uh, that we have decades of experience in providing, and an off and on basis. I've drifted in and out of different professions, but for certainly the most of the last darn near 20 years, uh, whether on radio uh, with Kick FM, or whether on television with City with uh, City Circus on Shaw TV, uh, or through the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, I provide unique coverage and uh, and broken various stories about um, things around City Hall, things around the legislature. Mostly the odd federal stories come up from time to time. Uh, our coverage of crime, courts, and public safety, which will be in part three of this episode, uh, and the part two is going to is is brief, and I I just touch on some personal matters uh, with regards to the uh, recent passings of uh, Mike Phillips, uh, who is uh, nationally known. Uh, the slam wrestling story about Mike and his career and, and his personality. Actually, there's another story by Dan Denton, who people who've uh, followed our program for a long time will recognize, had been a guest with me on the air. I went worked with him in Los Angeles, my great West Coast adventure. And uh, in the earliest days of Mike's career, Dan Denton um, was a traveling partner of his on both coasts. Uh, so go to Slam Wrestling and you'll find two stories, beautiful stories about uh, about Mike Phillips. Uh, also, I'll be speaking about attending the funeral of Kazbid Narchik uh, and, um, and, and what that was like to see so many people from so many walks of life around Manitoba uh, in Roselle where he uh, settled uh, uh, a couple of years ago after the death of his mother and, uh, and, uh, and a you know, meeting so many of his friends, and of course, meeting his, his his immediate family and grieving with them. That's in the middle part of the program. It's a short segment, but I, I hope you all listen to it and can can take a little something away. I actually, tie in Kaz and Mike with an important subject that we've covered here from time to time. But now that I've gotten through that, Great Canadian Talk Show podcast sponsored by Midpoint Auto. You'll hear the uh, plug for them uh, during the course of the program. It's really simple. If you know somebody who's looking for a car, an SUV, a van, anything with a motor, summertime's here, right? Off-road vehicles, give them a call. Give them a try. They've got a great inventory, and they will do their best to put together a deal that'll leave everybody walking away from the table, laughing, smiling, and shaking hands. And if uh, the person who's interested, whether it's you or somebody else, uh, they can work around all sorts of credit disadvantages and turn that into an advantage for you getting the keys to something that you will be proud to say, I own this. And of course, we thank, always thank Midpoint Auto for uh, sponsoring uh, these podcasts and for supporting our efforts in citizen journalism. Um, Also, for those of you who have a problem with trees, as in trees uh, on your property, that needs some work, pruning, trimming, uh, stump grinding, removal, uh, might I recommend our friend Derek with Absolute Tree Removal. You can give Derek a call if you're looking for that kind of service around your uh, your property. Uh, and this the 
uh, absolute tree removal serves uh, Winnipeg, the Selkirk area up into the Inner Lake. Uh, and so if this is something that uh, you need to get taken care of, then give Derek a call, 204-900-9086, and tell him that Marty sent you. Absolute tree removal, all one word, at outlook.com is the email address on the flyer in question. I've seen the work firsthand, and it's it's darn good, and they clean up after and everything. Uh, so please support the people that support this podcast, because what we're doing is supporting the community. And part of supporting the community is perhaps investing, on my part, a significant amount of time as it's turned into, on matters that concern communities. But because of the way the process is set up, people are shut out. They're left, they're, they're, they're left out. They, they aren't in a position to participate in some of these discussions about city policy. And while I've been focusing on the uh, Marion and Goulet bike lane plan for the six weeks untouched by mainstream media and without a word of comment from Matt Allard, his former assistant, Ryan Palmquist, trying to run interference. You'll hear more evidence of why when Ryan Palmquist says, oh, only Marty Gold could figure out it was a conspiracy, <laughs> why Ryan Palmquist is week after week now eating his words. And why when he suggested people shouldn't support my work, why maybe you should. But now this matter of public consultation, and as I've determined and proven how the neighborhood around the St. Boniface Hospital was left out. Still to this day, I have no word from the WRHA confirming that the hospital or the WRHA was talked with about possible delays to emergency services and effect on parking in the neighborhood around the hospital, all for two bike lanes for which the open house on March 16th claimed the biz was in favor of this and had zero information about how many lost parking spots. And when you present an argument that the neighborhood's going to lose 99 parking spots on uh, uh, in the that what they call the couplet, and how that's going to affect the area businesses, and then I proved that the businesses had not been consulted, that the business itself had not sent out a notice about the open house. And I'll go back to those numbers and that part of this, but this is part of a bigger problem at City Hall, and and public consultation is again going to come up with Portage and Maine, and I'm going to explain how this ties together. I know hard to believe, but true. Before I come back to the situation in St. Boniface, and then I'm going to expand it to other neighborhoods in the city. What happened at the East Kildon and Transcona Community Committee meeting on April 26th? Well, it hit the newspaper in a big way that Councillor Bawadi said something that some people thought was somewhat rude to a former MLA, Marianne Sorelli, who I myself know and used to, uh, interviewed, I'm sure I interviewed her, um, in the 1990s and maybe a little after that. And she's now a consultant working with various kinds of eco-groups. And in this case, they're starting to focus in particular on land use and budget consultations and blah, 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 blah. And she made a number of interesting comments in her presentation to the uh, community committee, which I, and I, I haven't seen the video to make sure, but I think Councillor Schreier was there. Certainly Councillor Wyatt and Councillor Bawadi um, as well. She started talking about, uh, with her background as a health educator, and being interested in healthy communities. She's concerned that there isn't enough feedback, enough community engagement of the kind that she likes going into budget consultations. We need a diversity of local experience contributing to policy. Um, So we know that if we are serious about meeting our uh, climate change goals to reduce emissions, 
that we, we've said that we need to reduce carbon emissions by 50% within the next, like within less than a decade. That's, it's, we need a very uh, ambitious strategy for that. That means that we have to reduce by 50% the amount of gasoline that's consumed and burned in Winnipeg. The way to do that is through urban planning, that we can't do that without a really ambitious move to get people out of their cars, 50% of people into public transit, active transportation, or car share and, and carpooling. Um, the city has to have a leadership role in that. And we have to see that reflected in the strategic plan and what gets financed through the budget. And I would suggest to you that some of the big projects, like Chief Pegwas Trail ex extension, some of the other road widening and the large infrastructure projects, including the Arlington Bridge, are incompatible with that goal and those those uh, those targets that we've set for the city. And that we need to have a new vision. Um, I think a lot of people, especially with the derailment of uh, the the rail cars at McPhillips recently um, are looking critically at the yards under the Arlington Bridge. And if we took the money from replacing the Arlington Bridge and some of those other projects that I mentioned, we could do something really visionary and exciting in that area um, under the Arlington Bridge where those yards are. So thanks very much for your attention. And uh, I'll be following up with an invitation for some lunch to talk more. And we do have a PowerPoint. I didn't even try to show it here. And we can get into more discussion about some of the priorities. I mean, that sounds great, doesn't it? Marianne Sorelli talked about the, you know, the value of these contributions. She says we have to make sure in terms of developing policy that we're not marginalizing people who don't have access uh, who often have no access, is how she put it. That the, These people often have no access to discussions about public policy. Hmm. Now, these are important points. Except the city, it's strange, I'm going to agree with her, but she's coming at this from one particular point of view. Because the work she does, the kinds of organizations she works with, they already have a leg up, a foot in the system. And her proposal works its way around to there being a, a change in things so there's a multi-stakeholder governance structure basically attached to the standing committee. So who does she want to be on these attachments to the committees, these stakeholders? The eco-lobby she works with, who now want to get more involved and find a way to capture that process, because capturing public consultation hasn't been enough. The principles that Marianne Sorelli talks about with regards to uh, public consultation have categorically not been applied in St. Boniface. Because the diversity of lived experience would mean the people who live in the neighborhood who do business in the neighborhood. Now, she's not talking about this topic, but I just want to show you what's going on at City Hall. What the people... What was that term I saw this week on Twitter? Citizens Unite? What the citizens are dealing with. We're not supposed to be marginalizing people who often don't have access to discussion about public policy. Hmm. That's why the city of Winnipeg, for instance, schedules two drop and goes about Portage and Maine over lunch hours. So that Joe Lunchbucket has absolutely no chance between 11 and 2 or noon and 2 or whatever it is 
next week to actually go by and look at what some of these ideas are and express how good or not so good, valid or not so valid, sensible or too expensive. They're not going to get feedback from people who can't get away to go downtown, take a chance of getting a parking ticket for the parking authority. See? Interesting how that works, isn't it? Marianne Sorelli telling the councillors at this uh, community committee meeting, we have to use all the intelligence and expertise that's been gathered to take on the challenges we face as a city. And what is the challenge that we face as a city? Well, to Sorelli, on behalf of the Sustainable Land Use Committee individuals who formed a committee that have the ability to go and talk at city council or committee meetings at 9 a.m. or 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or whatever. Well, you so the city has to cut gas consumption. We have to move 50% of people out of their car. And we have to see that in the strategic plan. So take a listen to Mary Ansarelli, former MLA from Transcona, her presentation and the response that uh, she she gets from Councillor Brawadi, keeping in mind what I've just explained about what her point of view is, what she's advocating for, is that people like her should be attached to standing committees to influence policy because that's what community engagement means. Jeff Brawadi tends to differ, as you'll hear. Let's go to that clip. Thank you, Ms. Sorelli. Uh, Councillor White has some questions, but I'm, I'm going to start here just quickly. I mean, okay. I appreciate everybody who comes to City Hall and takes time out of their day to make the presentations. People are very passionate. But the people who present here really do not represent most Winnipeggers, in my opinion. I mean, each one of us on council represents 45,000-ish people. We go out and meet people. They don't, uh, they're not looking to blow things up. They don't have time to come and make a presentation all day. They want their street lights timed well so they can get to and from work as fast as possible. They want to drive their SUVs through their Tim Hortons drive through to get their coffee on their way to, you know, hockey practice. Um, you, the consultation that we get is, is not as relevant as the consultation that we get as elected officials going door to door every four years talking to people. Talking to people at Boston Pizza, the grocery store, people who, you know, have real, you know, when they have an issue with the city service, that's, in my mind, 100% legitimate. And we do talk to people all the time. The delegations here, lovely, but I mean, if you believed, you know, we uh, the presentations on the library, we need to handle more granola bars at the library. That's not the feedback I get from residents that I talk to. And I don't think it's relevant of the vast majority of Winnipeggers. So the SPAP process, you know, represented all of our elected officials. Those are people that, you know, are the people that went and hit the doors in October. They let their names stand. It wasn't driven by administration. It was driven by the elected officials. There's stuff in there I don't necessarily agree with, but overall, I think it was more representative of anything else, any other public document. So if our Winnipeg says, or climate action plan says we need to do this or that, I don't think that's representative of the people we represent. So as well-intended as everybody who comes and presents, great. But again, um, it's, it's not at all representative of... Joe Lunchbox, Winnipegger, the people who pay taxes and work all day long to provide for their families to make, you know, uh, a life for themselves. So, again, I appreciate your advocacy, but I, I, I don't think, you know, a lot of these opinions are, are relevant. Isn't that interesting? 
that you end up from what he said, that people are screeching, he should be removed from the committee. A community committee? What kind of idiots is the city taking policy advice from that think that a counselor for East Kel- for, for, for North Keldona should be removed from the community committee? Unbelievable. Mark Cole goes to the newspaper from Pike Winnipeg and goes, oh, you know, it's important to hear people's voices. And yet consistently, as I'll get to, we've seen the biggest stakeholders of all in each of these neighborhoods affected by accommodations for the bike lobby and the radicals within those uh, that, that contingent in our community. Boy, they sure flex a lot of muscle while leaving out people who are completely unfairly adversely affected by these changes to infrastructure in some cases. I'm not saying every bike lane's been a bad idea. I'm not sure how many have been good ideas. And some of the AT pathways, again, North Kildona and Broadi's blessed actually out there because they've got they've got really good a really good structure out there, and I believe there's some good stuff in Transcona too. It's a little different for guys like this talking about aspects like that, but the principle that Sorelli's trying to hammer on, right, is, well, you have to listen, I mean, you have to listen to everybody, but these points of view where people have the ability to organize uh, uh, and, and, and expend dollars on research and other factors, that they should become more entrenched as, a, as, as part of a... Um, I mean, it really goes beyond advisory because they want to influence policy. Why? Gas, cars. Now, this whole bike lane philosophy was based on 50%. Where were we when we started? What was the percentage of single passenger use in Winnipeg when this started? Where are we now? And at that rate, are we going to hit this target goal? The answer, by the way, is plainly no. But like that doesn't matter. We just keep doing things, even when they aren't working, even when they're having adverse effects in neighborhoods, even when, according to Marianne Sorelli, and these sustainable land use types, healthy community types, they all talk the talk about lived experiences should be listened to, but not when it comes to the effects on neighborhoods, when their desires are catered to. And when the system is torqued, bent, bended towards them by a corrupted bureaucratic process. And it's plainly corrupted when everybody on Marion whose business faces that street didn't get a registered letter saying, hey, there's an open house and we're going to take away 99 parking spots. See how this works? Only some people find out things. Only some people know things. Other people are left out. And the people who know things never complain, hey, those people don't necessarily agree with us. They were left out of this. That's not really fair. You haven't heard that once. You probably also haven't heard the kind of lecture that Marianne Sorelli explaining why she said what she said and why what Jeff Brawati said is, is wrong. She tells them why. Like some sort of hectoring schoolmarm. Listen to this. I'll respond to that, Ms. Uh, Councillor Barati, because it was also brought up in the Riel Committee. And this idea that you have knocked on doors and just come through an election year. Uh, you also have a responsibility as a legislator, as a city councillor, to be informed by evidence, 
by science, by not only science on the climate, but so social science as well. And that science is suggesting the worldview that you're talking about, that perhaps many people in your ward support, is destroying the planet. And there's a whole bunch of research about climate denial, that it's not just denying that climate change exists, but it's denying that we need to make fundamental changes in the way that we have structured our economy and that we live our lives. So certainly you can understand that sometimes what is popular is not right. And what is right is not popular. And sure, people want to go to the drive-through and get their disposable cup and go, you know, ride around, take their kids to soccer, you know, do all those things. But it's unsustainable. And the damage that we have done is only going to harm the children and grandchildren that are coming after us. So the forest you fires, everything else yeah, that we're seeing is is, you know, the, the way to change those attitudes is through community engagement that's going to emphasize learning and research. And you have an obligation to the children that are coming after you to show that kind of leadership. Thank you for your opinion. So there you heard it. Now, what did Council Brawati say? Just because you've come to council, which takes a lot of effort. I've done it for over the course of 40 years. Your opinions aren't more important than residents submitting letters to the editor, calling in to talk radio shows. Thank you, Councillor Bawadi. Posting on online community forums or talking directly to elected officials. Mayor Gillingham saying that uh, he himself appreciates the knowledge and passion delegations bring, but Councillor Bawadi's correct delegations are just one tool that council uses to make its decisions. So being part of a delegation... Very rarely is that just a private citizen acting on their own about a narrow interest. Some um, become standard bearers of different causes like public accountability and, and, uh, and things of that nature, transparency. And so they'll appear over a period of time on a number of issues or maybe go to council during a budget period, basically every opportunity they get to pound certain principles. But those people aren't necessarily aligned with special interest groups that often receive funding, uh, public funding. Uh, certainly somebody, some groups have put together funding, whether it's public funding or private funding, to pay Marianne Sorelli's bill and good for her. I'd just like to be able to pay my own bills too. Coming from a different perspective. And I don't think the people I speak for are less important than Marianne Sorelli thinks. But look what she said to Berwadi. If you're worried about your businesses, you're worried about being able to, your streets being narrowed about accidents because you sideswipe curbs. If you're worried about the disabled being able to get out of their wheelchairs, uh, get their wheelchairs uh, down, uh, you know, off the lifts because of the uh, the curbs for the bike lanes might interfere. With that. Well, you're a climate denier. You're killing the planet. What's the matter with you? Don't you know what's good for you? Sorelli was like a hectoring school marm. And Brawati, you know, he was responding to this concept where her nose is in the air that they want to be entrenched in the process because they're already organized. Why is there no driver's advocate in the city? Bob Axford and I advocated for that, uh, as I mentioned, uh, a number of times. You see how that would have made a difference with what's going on, not just in St. Boniface with the moving on Marion, but the bike lanes that are going to be a disaster and there's going to be a war. There is a war brewing now. Um, the businesses and residents of Osborne Village sideswiped by that plan. And it Wolseley, with a bike lane on Westminster, meaning the bus that for 95 years went up Balmoral and then down Westminster Avenue and through that neighborhood, 
That bus now goes down Broadway and then turns left on Maryland. What does that mean? The people who for years, disabled people, senior citizens, they have to walk down to Broadway to catch their bus. That's great, isn't it? Because how many cyclists use that bike lane, which now it is so narrow on, on Westminster. And the bus goes up Maryland and goes down Wolseley. So if you, you know, live further in in that neighborhood, right? Uh, around, uh, you know, uh, if you picture Arlington, which most of you don't, going up into, into uh, in a Wolseley. Well, they change that bus route too, and it's further away from people who depended on it. But the bike lobby doesn't care. Because we have to get 50% of people out of cars. We have to reduce gas consumption by 50% or else the planet. So the diversity of lived experience of people whose businesses could close, whose ability to live a comfortable life in a neighborhood that they've earned because their stores close and this and that. Loss of customers, loss of parking. Loss of viability. We have businesses in Boniface that moved here because of what went on in the exchange district. And the Marianne Sorellis, the world really don't care if they have to move again because you're killing the planet. The United Nations this. And God knows that Winnipeg, like how important is what we do? It must be very important because I don't see them lecturing China or India about their pollution and their use of coal, etc., 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 We have to move 50% of people out of their cars. People who don't agree with her, you're destroying the planet. And she invites the counselors, see how this is done? She invites the counselors to lunch for a conversation and some dialogue. But the counselors, the whole consultation process has no lunches with the residents of these different neighborhoods. The neighborhood around the St. Boniface Hospital. Nobody's having lunch with them. Counselor isn't, isn't having lunch with them to find out what they think. The consultant didn't want to know either. That's why they didn't properly inform the neighborhood. It's too inconvenient to those who believe that the planet is going to die unless Winnipeg inconveniences thousands upon thousands of people for uh, lobby groups made up of perhaps 3,000 people. Tail wagging dog, correct. Marginalizing people who don't have access uh, don't uh, don't often don't have access to these uh, public policy discussions. Yeah, especially people that work for a living, that work during the day for a living, the people who 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 are not um, uh, how should I put this? Don't have mobility in their day to day lives. They aren't around. They're getting around. It's not part of their lifestyle at this stage, or they're they're basically you know at home caring for someone or caring for themselves. So you see if you can get in. If you're in on the game, then you go and you open it. There'll be lots of brilliant ideas about Portage and Maine. You don't want an idea about Portage and Maine in a public consultation. This should only be decided by the residents. And the, uh, Nobody ever mentions the actual businesses, by the way, downtown. Oh, the residents downtown should decide. Challenge them. If you see people opening their yaps like that and say, I challenge them, does that mean that the people in Wolseley and in St. Boniface and in Osborne Village, can? Uh, they should decide whether or not they lose. In Osborne Village, it's over 206 parking spots because there's going to be a loss of spots now, as I'm informed, on Wardlaw, on Gertrude, and on Scott Street. There was a loss of, I'm told, 48 sp spaces. And this isn't just like, Parking on their driveway. People drive their cars to go somewhere. 
That's just driving and parking and like, you know, pulling their wire. Like, what is this? What kind of lunacy about parking in neighborhoods is the issue? People go to stores, they go to visit their grandparents, they deliver meals, home care workers, loading zones for handy transit and taxis. Well, they should all be taking a bike or carpooling. Councillor Bawadi should be thrown off a committee that he can't be thrown off of. Well, <clears throat> you don't hear this reported in the mainstream media, and numerous people have told me that they've tried to talk with people at the CBC or Free Press, and they will not counter this agenda, which started at City Hall, really, in 2011. Uh, they'll get into next week. Like, how do we get here? It starts with something that started in 2011 in a different world before COVID, because now we see there's no consideration for the change in economic conditions on the streets of Winnipeg being suffered by uh, storefront businesses, uh, to say the least. I'll get more into that and what was said at the time about what was wrong. And how now that they know something was being done that was wrong, the city, instead of correcting it, continues to do it, but they're even sneakier about screwing people over. Not on my watch. Whereas all the other media ignores this. They ignore the fact that the communities don't have uh, representation. They don't have an organized voice, certainly not in the neighborhood around St. Boniface Hospital. And so the, you know, St. Boniface, the moving on Marion, low-hanging fruit. Osborne Village, I understand the biz was pretty frozen out there too. I'm just starting to get into that. What a pattern. The businesses are frozen out. The biz members are frozen out. So they can't speak up for their customers. They can't speak up for their employees. They can't speak up about what they see. Their lived experience with traffic jams, gridlock. I am here to be that voice. I want to be able to take the time to put together the various numbers collected by the Happy Land Park, the residents in South, what they call South St. Boniface, by Happy Land Park, Archibald and Marion, which was again a canary in a coal mine. And I want to look back at some of the numbers from Assiniboine. And I want to talk with people in other neighborhoods. And they've already been reaching out to me. Because there's no citizen's advocate. How many people have said, if Peter Warren was around, this wouldn't be happening? And they're right. With your support, if you've added up to here with being called a climate denier and a planet killer, because you want businesses in your neighborhoods to succeed. You want your neighbors to thrive. You want your neighbors to be able to get in and out of their vehicle. What about snow stores? I haven't even talked about the horror stories about snow stores where there's no place to put snow. And so people on streets where they put in bike lanes, like apparently Barry, they can't, uh, Barry Street in St. James, they can't get in and in, like over the snowbanks to get to their cars where they park them. Because now they can't put the snow where it belongs, out of the way. Nobody seems to be looking at any of these things. And yet the Marianne Sorellis of the world with their, we have to tie in land use to this agenda so we can control everybody's lives and their ability to thrive. I say no. I say fight back. I say I will be here for you. So you're going to hear a pitch about funding this work. I want to put out another, I need to put out more flyers in St. Boniface. There's a lot more people I've been contacted. And even today, I spoke with a restaurateur, had been here for many years, no idea about moving on Marion, no idea about a bike lane. He saw the map of where the parking spots were going to be lost to their business. He was mortified. He serves senior citizens. He serves dis people that come to his facility in wheelchairs to enjoy a meal, to sit in comfort, to be treated with respect. And he wasn't even given the respect 
of being told about this plan or about the open house. I'm going to continue on this case. It's time consuming. There's costs. This is your chance in a small way, maybe for some of you in a big way, and that's happened from time to time. This is your chance to say, not so fast, City Hall. Not so fast, bike lobby. Not so fast, eco-warriors. We're not killing the planet. We're trying to survive. We're trying to make sure our communities are maintained. We want to make sure that St. Boniface can, in this case, can retain its distinct character. No different than Osborne Village. No different than any neighborhood. Oh, that's nimbyism. No, it's not nimbyism. Well, what did Marianne Sorelli say? Diversity of lived experiences contributing to policy. Not marginalizing people who often have no access to discuss about public policy because the discussions are held from 11 till 2 o'clock. We're coming at it from the other direction. Get on board and support this work and I'll continue to support the community. Back with more right after this. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. Our podcast and investigative work, Citizen Journalism, is kept alive because of your support, whether it's through advertising, sponsorships, live events, uh, donations, etc. You can do that through PayPal uh, or by uh, emailing me martygoldlive at gmail.com and we'll make the arrangements for uh, so many years now. Spirit of Kenny and myself have been providing commentary and analysis on uh, what goes on in Winnipeg, what goes on uh, in, in the uh, realm of public affairs, uh, in the legislature, it's especially at City Hall, in the world of sports, the world of science, and a few other things that catch our interest. Uh, we can continue doing this work only because of your support, and it's so valuable that Winnipeg has additional voices. We just saw in the civic election how one reporter doing good work can make a difference and turn the tide, no matter what the pollsters, no matter what the elitists thought. And so it's important that journalism be kept alive in the city. It's important that investigative journalism and commentary be kept alive and well. And we're going to continue to do that with the Greek Canadian Talk Show podcasts with your support. Marty Gold, back with part two of this episode of the Great Canadian Talk Show. Uh, and I uh, wanted to uh, just briefly, I'm, I'm going to actually relate some of the things that have gone on in my personal life uh, lately, so to speak, with uh, an issue that is of importance to uh, of great importance to all Manitobans. I spoke about uh, the death of of a former professional wrestler turned expert chef Mike Phillips. Uh, still, no funeral plan uh, uh, in in place uh, for Mike. Uh, but uh, Slam Wrestling wrote a wonderful story about him that has gotten um, picked up by people all over the country because he wrestled in the as a very young man. He was like 20, 21, 22 years old. He's in the ring with Nick Bockwinkel and and other big stars wrestling coast to coast. And um, and I'll I'll bring that information forward as it becomes available as well. I attended the funeral of uh, Kazbed Narchuk, um, and uh, attended his home. Um, boy, I mean, I can barely even e- even discuss this. It was such an emotional time. So many people from so many walks of life from all over this province gathered to pay tribute to Kaz, uh, passed away in a in a car accident, literally down the road from his home. Um, and, um, it, it, the whole circumstance, you know, has been very shocking. Uh, it's a very deep level of shock throughout many communities. The, the, uh, 
Winnipeg Speedway, the racing communities, uh, the many cultural communities. Uh, I saw people that he went to St. John's High with, people he went to University of Winnipeg with, uh, people that he knew from the band scene, obviously, and of course, uh, from uh, his uh, career in uh, photography. And uh, it was, I think, people spoke at, at an open mic uh, for, for a while, and it was, I think, the first time I've ever heard an F-bomb dropped in a church like that. Uh, but people were laughing anyways, <laughs> I guess. Um, and uh, met um, members of of his family, and, and as I said, people remembered him, uh, and member people in Rose Isle too. Uh, he made an impact in that community in a very brief, really brief period of time over the last couple of years that he had lived there. I learned that his health had been somewhat failing over the course of the last couple of years, and a, a more gracious fellow you'll never, you'll have never met. Uh, just so unique. I don't want to belabor the point, but one thing I, I do want to tie together, and and I'll put the YouTube the link to the YouTube video uh, about Kaz. It'll be here in this description. You'll be able to to see it and watch that video. As have hundreds of his friends and loved ones, uh, and, and you'll be able to read their comments as well. Um, but in the course of of things, you know, one thing that Mike Phillips uh, and I don't think that Mike ever met Kaz or vice versa, um, but that I enjoyed with them, right? Mutual, their mutual, the mutual friend, as it's so to speak. Uh, travel and travel all over the place and travel to neat places and small places and remote places. And there was always an element of um, caution and an element of danger. In fact, especially in the driving those, those mountains in BC and you're a prairie boy uh, and uh, both traveled all over the continent. And lo and behold, to my shock, it's 2023, or maybe not to my shock, Manitoba Hydro, in a pay dispute with it, with uh, what was ExploreNet, uh, for what they're charging for the use of the fiber optic uh, network that the taxpayers basically developed, right? Manitoba, Manitoba Hydro. And there's some screwing over going on, and I'm hardly one to defend, you know, to go defending any particular party or other in something like this, but... Uh, Hydro's been a notorious pain in the ass many times for the Manitoba-based tech companies to deal with in the past. I'm sure this is really no different. Meanwhile, in Saskatchewan, 99% of residents have high-speed access. I guess that's through SaskTel. Manitoba, a 2023 CRTC report, said only 14% of First Nations in Manitoba had high-speed access. It is integral to public safety. It is essential to advancement of education and industrial and business opportunities and to tourism and to public health. And Manitoba, you're on your own. There's so many places. When I've been traveling with CWE Wrestling in the last while, and we just had an unbelievably great show in Balmoral, Manitoba, uh, essentially my, you know, my mother, uh, my mother's family came from an area near Arburg from Bender Hamlet and then settled in in Stonewall, and so it's sort of up and down the corridor, so to speak, uh, by, I guess, I guess it's the seven, and very, very spotty, very spotty, Saturday afternoon, nice day, raining just a little bit, very spotty reception on all sorts of, why, 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 I see hydro towers anywhere, why, why is this not happening, when wireless signals can be set up on those towers, so that it's, if you're within 100 feet of a tower or something, you can get reception. If you're stranded, like, what's wrong? 
What is wrong with the bureaucrats of the province of Manitoba? What is wrong with the government of Manitoba? No matter which government it is that's in power, they have not solved this. Why? People's lives are at stake on these remote highways. Whether they're photographers and lovers of going to remote uh, locations to try out the delicacies at the local uh, cafe, pub, and restaurant, like Kaz was, traveling places on his bike, or vanfuls of wrestlers led by Mike Phillips looking for a buffet to bust. This is part of being Canadian. And still, no coherent delivery of services in Manitoba. For internet access. This means, I'm talking about cell phone access, okay? Emergency calling. Plan is Manitoba Hydro Telecom's extensive fiber, etner, fiber optic cable network to connect rural and northern Manitobans to broadband internet, internet and cell service is on hold for a pay dispute between the private company that has the rights to use it and the public utility. But believe me, Hydro would have tried to screw over anybody. Guaranteed. And so I just want to explain, you know, it's something that, you know, concern Mike, concerns, concern Kaz. I was out on the road this week. Great show in Balmoral. Uh, 500, over 500 uh, tickets sold, as as, uh, as I uh, heard. A tremendous amount of money raised for the Recreation Center. Those kids had a memory of a lifetime, because believe me, Vince McMahon doesn't take wrestling to places like Balmoral or near Toulon or near Stonewall, and CWE da- does. And the show went over great, and the a lot of tremendous athleticism um, on display. Uh, and uh, a good time was had by all. Hurts nobody. Can we please have some self-service and communities like that? It'll make it more enjoyable where you can actually tweet out and Facebook send Facebook pictures out and show the event as it's happening. And show people this is, hey, this part of Canadian culture, how about enabling it a little bit? Eh, we asking for too much? I hope not, because I'm going to keep asking for it till something's done. Back with more of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast right after this. Do you have a comment, story tip, or want to advertise or support the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast? Email tgcts1 at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group or follow us on Twitter at TGCTS. You have the power. Third and final segment here of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast this week. Back with more. Will I be back with more next week? Next week, yeah, I'm going to be going to... Uh, Sioux Valley and uh, Return to Rivers, Manitoba fundraisers for the fire departments in those communities. Uh, if you're looking to do a fundraiser for uh, your local fire department or any worthy cause, then uh, get a hold of me, MartyGoldLive at gmail.com, and I'll uh, do what I can to put something together with the good folks over at Canadian Wrestling's Elite um, and uh, uh, bring, in a, bring in a very entertaining show that the kids will love and the adults will have a good time at. Uh, a few things came up in the news, uh, not necessarily some of it's related to crime course public safety in a way uh, that um, I have personal you know, background in, as usual, because there's nobody else. Uh, very few people have the kind of institutional memory or really the kind of background I have. A place that doesn't get mentioned by the old name, by one old name in any of the news stories is the illustrious Cagney's. Cagney's uh, had a comedy lounge uh, that was one of the earliest venues for stand up comedy in the city of Winnipeg. And many, many people performed there. Uh, very rough sets, honestly, uh, for many people, including myself. Uh, in particular, uh, I think of Kerry Talmadge and I think of Mike Gottley, who both appeared on uh, my cable television uh, comedy show 
in the late 80s um, and who went on to uh, work as touring comedians. And uh, I think they both – I think Talmadge acted uh, in, in some movies. Mike Gottlieb did uh, Tales from the Gimli Hospital. I think is probably his best-known role. Uh, both um, lost at far too young an age. And that um, – where that building stood at uh, 98 Albert Street, uh, torn down uh, years ago, former garage – and I say garage, like gas station garage, service garage – uh, and now the developer, the person who uh, had bought the property, uh, can't afford to move forward. And who has a lot to complain about? Apparently, Cindy Tugwell is always complaining. But as far as I know, has never actually owned a, a property, a commercial property. I might be mistaken, but I've never heard her ta- draw from her own expertise in discussing things. The city should allow demolition until a developer is fully ready to go ahead. Why do they allow the demolition? Would somebody please send Cindy Tugwell a note about arson of abandoned or empty buildings? I can't even, I can't believe I read that. I'm going to use this as a major poster child for what shouldn't be done. I'm going to use Cindy Tuggle as a major poster child of who shouldn't be listened to. John Knowles owns the building. There's no basement there. Uh, The design was to not put in a basement because then you're dealing with the old, uh, presumed that there's fuel tanks on the location, right? Blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. For, for someone who wants to do it for love, that's great, but for us, it wasn't viable anymore. And that's generally the this, this story with a lot of heritage buildings. Um, the building permit uh, has not expired, so there's still options, including getting a, a canceling the permit or uh, an option to ask for a, an extension. Um, David Pensanto, executive director of the Exchange District Biz, was he the executive director when bike lanes almost killed half the businesses under his jurisdiction? The city doesn't have all the tools it needs. There doesn't seem to be any way of having insurances the project will go ahead. Yeah, that's called capitalism, buddy. It was just the ease of which it was delisted. Meaning, this goes back to Sam Cates and a change in the listing process for historic buildings in the past. It sets a precedent where just about anything can be demolished. Hmm. Is David Pensanto exaggerating? Maybe, maybe some of you can fill me in about this. Um... You got, according to another free press report, 32 fires between January 1st and April 14th in abandoned buildings. The North End described as pockmarked with charred shells of vacant property set aflame by shelter-seeking squatters, <sighs> leaving residents on edge, on edge, draining firefighter resources. It actually leaves out the firebugs. Free press leaving out the criminal element a little bit in this story. When you walk down the street, said Cindy Cook, how can you take pride in your community when there's three or four burned houses? Well, a question a lot of our politicians never have to ask themselves because they don't have neighborhoods like this in their wards. And as they continue to direct resources away from the troubled neighborhoods with declining property values, you end up with this kind of mayhem and this kind of social disorder. Brian Bowman's legacy. In Minarski and other wards across this city. Another story that I had a connection to, besides 98 Albert Street, the sentencing of a fellow for murdering a taxi driver, which I covered in my newsletter and gave by far the best coverage available, and details I had on this character a couple of years ago when the murder occurred, have never been reported in mainstream media. Why? You will draw your own conclusions. This cab driver was stabbed 17 times for one reason, because this fellow, an immigrant from an African country, 
who is now facing deportation. Hated, would refer to as Asians, but which evidently is code word for Sikhs, as in many taxi drivers in the city of Winnipeg and other cities' law-abiding individuals, who have the misfortune of running into this kind of a racist. Guilty of second-degree murder. The killing, the Justice McKelvey said, fueled by rage, animus, disrespect, and racism. He didn't like prepaying for rides. He'd already been in a fight with another driver that night, an argument with another driver. Where he prepaid the $20, started acting like a jerk, Video cameras inside the cab, unlike my day, give the drivers a fighting chance to explain what went on. So the driver turned around, gave him back his 20, took him back to where he started from. 30 minutes later, he calls another cab and stabs Mr. Tour. Uh, police saying that during the, uh, they got a videotaped confession with this fellow, animosity towards South Asian people because of negative interactions growing up. He also expressed a dislike of cab drivers owing to past experience and specifically demands for upfront payment, which, by the way, at the time was mandatory under the city bylaw, which he viewed as disrespect. Off his medication for bipolar disorder. Justice McKelvey saying when Mr. Obeying got into the cab, three, into cab 390 and plunged an eight and a half inch blade into Belvere Tour 17 times, killing him, he's mentally ill. Sorry, this is what the Crown Attorney said. Suffering the effects of his bipolar disorder. This is Crown Attorney Chantal Boughton. But along with his illness, and get this, and his eight and a half inch knife, and get this, and a brass knuckle duster. Brass knuckles, again. Took brass knuckles into a taxi. Where was he going? I haven't seen anywhere in the stories where he thought he was going. At 4.30 in the morning. When Mr. Tour disrespected him with yet another demand for an upfront payment. That was the last straw. Bowton agreed. He should have been discharged from hospital nine days before the stabbing. Discharged from hospital nine days before the He pulled out his knife and asked, how much is it? $5,000 and stabbed Mr. Tour repeatedly. What was this person doing out on the street in the first place? There's been four violent incidents that he was involved, has been involved with since the killing. And people are worried he's going to be deported. He's going to be deported. Okoth Obing was a menace to society. I'm sorry he had a tough upbringing. I'm sorry he has mental illness. He should not be killing good Canadian citizens. The family completely distraught. We no longer felt safe in this city. The statement read, what has our father done wrong? He's the nicest and kindest human being and he's brutally murdered for just trying to provide for his family. How are we supposed to feel safe in a city where a person is murdered for just working, providing for his family? And they moved away. Defense lawyer saying his mental health was at the forefront of all his actions. Justice McKelvey saying, nah. She would not accept him being not criminally responsible due to his mental illnesses. They may or may not. I don't know if they're uh, I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen anything in the stories about what kind of treatment he did or didn't get. I mean, he was on medication. Apparently, he was off it, right? Permanent resident of Canada, born in Ethiopia, grew up in a refugee camp after his parents fled from their home country of South Sudan. So his family came from South Sudan. They were refugees in Ethiopia. That's where he was born. 
that's where his racist attitudes started being formed. The biggest fear when my dad drove cab, when I drove cab, was are you going to have some kind of encounter in which your life is going to be endangered? Driving cab was not for the, especially at night, was not for the meek of heart. But, you know, what wasn't reported about this fellow, his priors, his violence that I did report in my earlier um, uh, investigation in, in the after this occurred in March, uh, March 19th, 2020. There's just so many details of this guy's background and the things he posted on social media. And threatening to sh threatening to shoot people, looking for, for he was involved with gangs. None of this mentioned for some reason that I've seen any of the mainstream media reports. Why is that? Twelve-year-old girl being stabbed by a thirteen-year-old who had been tossed out of a house party last week in the five hundred block on floor uh, uh, on a Monday night, Tuesday morning kind of thing. What the hell are 12 and 13 year old kids doing up around party situations? It wasn't Easter break, was it? No, it wasn't. Kicked out of a party, came back armed with a knife, had an adult woman with her. Oh, it's a 13 year old girl carrying an imitation gun, stabbed a 12 year old girl, 38 year old woman taking part in this charged with break and enter, aggravated assault, weapon possession, using an in intimation, intimation, in, imitated, imitate a firearm? Maybe it's a technical legal term. During commission of offense, 13-year-old, similar charge as well as assault with a weapon. Both released on undertakings. Oh, that enhances the sense of public safety on Flora Avenue, I'm sure. A woman was abducted in the 1100 block of Arlington on April 25th after a couple of other women had stolen her car and then were trying to uh, blackmail her for it and then they take off with her, demanding a ransom, evidently before they'd return her. Of course, in the course of driving this uh, vehicle around, uh, drives over a spike belt, takes off on foot, uh, cops nab these dames. So it's cards. They forcibly stole it, tried to uh, commit extortion, assault a peace officer with a weapon times three. Why? Well, because the new sport is, the old sport is a new sport. They're running around hitting cop cars again. So these people would qualify as a level five. The vehicle fled after ramming both police vehicles. Who? Level five times two. These two perps charged, and Ashley Jessica Rupert, robbery, extortion, assault of a police officer with a weapon times three. She'd be the driver. Flight while pursued by a police officer. Dangerous operation of conveyance. The other accused, Tara Lynn Lightfoot, charged with robbery and extortion. She had, uh, Madame Lightfoot, previous experience having been convicted of an assault uh, in a break and enter and a robbery on Alexander Avenue in 2017 for which she pled out and went up the up the river for 22 months, I think it was. Send me money, she would post on, on social media. One victim struck in the head. Suspect stole electronics in a vehicle. Hit and run with another vehicle on St. Mary's Road after stealing his vehicle on Alexander somewhere in essentially central of the West End. When they were apprehended, these two fellows, one, Grant... Bar Bartholet and the other Matthew John DeLorme, along with his Terralyn Lightfoot, methamphetamine in the vehicle, robbery, break and enter to commit, right? Pled out, sentenced, 22 months, that's what she was given, who knows what she served. 
hmm, how did this happen? Did she get rehabilitated? Probably not, considering she posts pictures of herself holding a, a pistol in one hand and a uh, long gun in the other in a jacket emblazoned with the word bloods. Hmm. What a safe city we live in. I mean, you talk with people about this concept of, of uh, well, the idea of bike lanes to get people to take the bus. Who's going to take a bus? You can get, you're not going to get machete, generally speaking, inside your own car. So I speak from the experience of having worked in the hotel industry. We helped run hotels, uh, uh, worked with other enterprises, dealt with people at street level uh, in many cases, uh, consulting with retail establishments, restaurants, etc. And my own experience as a taxi driver and as a labor leader for the cab drivers before shields were even installed. And I was around for that. So I speak of these matters of public safety, these matters of concern for the public good, for the public welfare. You don't hear these kinds of views expressed in the mainstream media. They don't go seeking out voices, uh, the voices that I seek out. They don't have the, uh, to, uh, avail themselves of the vast resources they get, whether it's through Trudeau or other dough. I will continue to fight the good fight. I will continue to be a voice for this community. If you see the value in what we are reporting on the style of reporting. And I take pride in being a good interviewer. I have a number of requests out to certain city councilors who I know will be calling me now the Jets are out of the playoffs so I can get them back in front of a microphone and have a good conversation, talk about the issues that concern you, Winnipegers. Share this podcast. I can't urge you enough. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. The more people hear what we're reporting on, the more people will then know and they'll realize they aren't alone. They've, they're also being afflicted by crime. They're also being uh, um, affected by bad policy. They're also being disadvantaged by inadequate public consultation. They're also being left out of the loop. They're also being marginalized by decisions their city councilor might be making. They also want internet service all around the province the way it should be delivered through the use of those hydro towers. I will continue to be that voice. And I know I've said it before. I say it again. Don't look to your left or to your right. If you benefit from this, if you think this is important, take a moment and please provide some support the ongoing costs of these kinds of investigations. I don't work out of somebody else's newsroom. Nobody else pays the bill for the lights. Nobody else, you know, pays the bill for the cable or the internet or any of the rest of it. The more I can get out and around the community, the more I'm going to be able to piece together exactly what's going on at City Hall and be able to help the community put a stop to it. Because it should have stopped after that audit, and clearly it didn't. And so, I have to saddle up my horse, evidently, and get back on the case that's going to require the kind of support that Ryan Palmquist, school trustee, didn't want people to consider. So if you think Ryan Palmquist and his ilk of bike lane lovers, claiming there's no scandal here that 30 businesses or more have been left out of this process, the community wasn't consulted, and that we're going to have a situation and say, I mean, listen, this has a chance to really severely damage the French Quarter. You take pride in the French Quarter, you take pride in St. Boniface. The residents, the businesses of this area, they need your help. And I am going to do what I can to make sure that they are heard. And the points that they raise 
are brought up with people in charge and that those people in charge are held accountable for doing what Marco says. You have to listen to people. But it's been cleverly constructed. Certain voices are being left out. Not while the great Canadian talk show is on the beat. I don't set fundraising goals. Uh, you know, I don't really do campaigns like that. And I'm trying to wait, really essentially wait till the, web, the new website is ready. Um, but this would be a great week to show that you want this work to not just continue, but to grow. Because I know there's information from all these different neighborhoods that can be put together, constructed, to get a real handle on how these tricks are played on the public, what the real effects are of some of these decisions on the community, on the businesses, on the disabled, on the residents. And people, I'm told that there's going to be a, a backlash. I believe the hockey term is pushback. In Osborne Village, I'm told that that's brewing, and I know that it's there's definitely going to be something happening out of St. Boniface. Certainly that biz meeting, when they finally have their open house to their members, that's going to be a Jim Dandy. You can be sure. I don't take holidays. I stay on the job. So just consider the idea of making sure that while your taxes flow to other outlets, that the kind of work that I do and my ability to talk with other people with knowledge and other broadcasters, other people that, that have media connections and, the, and being able to talk with people at City Hall, that this platform can make a difference. So instead of being quite as pissed off with City Hall as you are, you might be able to say, hey, City Hall finally listened. That's a worthwhile goal. See what you can do to contribute to keep this train moving in that direction. Uh, accordingly. I leave you with the, the best regards for this coming week. I appreciate, as I said, the last couple of weeks for me have just been dreadful. Uh, and uh, more good things yet to come from the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. I assure you, and as always, remember, you have the power. Thanks for listening to the Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to tgcts1 at gmail.com or follow him on Twitter at tgcts. I'm